together to the book of Genesis. Chapter 22 this morning. Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's the very first book in the Bible. It is a book filled with memorable and famous stories. And perhaps no story is more memorable than the one we are going to look at this morning in Genesis 22. How the Lord God called Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, his beloved son, Isaac. So let's begin now then by looking at Genesis chapter 22. Starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood For the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes And looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Reumah, bore Teba. Gaham, Tahash, and Maaka. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, that you have given to us this your word. And we ask, O Lord, that you would bless us by it, strengthen us by its power, and draw us closer to the Lord Jesus. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. No one likes a test, do they? You don't wake up as a student one morning and say, well, I really hope we have a test today so I can show how much I know about chemistry or calculus or 19th century history. Some of us have prepared and have come to know exactly what it means to take tests. And so there is a science about it. There is a science of cramming and of preparing, of trying to get an entire semester's worth of work done in one overnight. And some of us are quite good at that. But there is the enemy of the crammer. There is the enemy of the person who pretends they know the material as well as they do. It is the dreaded pop quiz. When you show up in class with no thought that there would be a test, and the teacher says, close your books, get out your paper, there's a quiz right now. And it's at that time that only what we already know, only who we already are, comes to the surface. There's no airs to put on. There's no deception. There's no cramming. There's no saying, I'm better than I am. You can only give what you have. In a way, that's what God is doing with Abraham this morning. He has been continually testing Abraham and his faith throughout his life, but now God is going to give him the biggest pop quiz anyone has ever had. 
It is a test of Abraham's obedience to God. It is a test of who Abraham is in Christ. And so this morning I would like us to see three things about Abraham's faith from this test. First, we will see Abraham's faith tested. Then we will see Abraham's faith revealed. And then finally, we will see Abraham's faith rewarded. Faith that is tested, faith that is revealed, and faith that is rewarded. Let's begin then by looking at a faith that is tested. Chapter 22 begins on the heels of 21, but there is some period of time between them. Perhaps roughly a dozen or 15 years. Isaac is now the same age that Ishmael was in chapter 21. He is at least a young teen. He is old enough, we'll see later, to carry enough wood for a sacrifice. He's no toddler. So month after month, year after year, have gone by in the household of Abraham in quiet blessing from the Lord. It's a very peaceful period. And yet, it breaks in that after these things, God tested Abraham. Now, the first thing we need to remember is that this is the narrator. This is Moses letting us know this. Abraham did not get notice that he would be tested. It is Moses explaining after the fact. And so right in, out of the blue, a sudden command comes upon Abraham. His name is called and God says to him, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. This is a sudden command that is reminiscent of the command that God gave Abraham in Genesis 12, where he said, Abraham, get up and leave your country. Leave all of your family behind. Leave everything you know and go into a land that I will tell you. You don't know it. You don't know why. But do it because I tell you. So now here again, there is a sudden command that comes upon Abraham... He has no time to prepare a reaction. It simply is there. And isn't this often what we we do to people to get their true reaction to events? Have you ever played that game or that test where someone says to you, I'm going to say to you a word. And you just say the first thing that pops into your mind. Don't stop and think. Try and give the answer that I want. Just give me the answer that comes into your head. And you play that game. Salt, pepper, black, white. Right? That's what's happening here to Abraham. This command has come right in, but this is not a game about words. This is not only a sudden command, it is a weighty command. It is a command to kill his son. It is a test of who Abraham is. What is Abraham really like? Now, you see, the first thing we need to remember about this test is a little bit counterintuitive. This is not a test for God's benefit. God already knows exactly who Abraham is. This is a test for Abraham's benefit so that he can see who he is 
so that he can see how his faith has changed him and what the Lord is doing in his life. This is a refining fire that God has placed Abraham in. And this is the kind of test that you face every day. No, do not come to me and say that you have had a dream that you need to kill one of your children. I will remind you, you are not Abraham. And God speaks through His Word, not through dreams. But we are tested every day, aren't we, as to who we are. Maybe not in so dramatic a fashion. Maybe your tests come in Houston traffic. In a car that breaks down. In children that test your patience. In neighbors that cause difficulty. In a workplace where you are harried. You see, all of these are tests to show who you are and what God has done in your life. They are tests of who you are in Jesus Christ. This weighty command that God gives to Abraham is a sudden test and a weighty test, and it is so because he asks for the dearest thing that Abraham has. Notice what he says. He says, you need to take your son, you know, your only son. You know, your son, your only son, the one that you love. Each description becomes more and more painful. It causes more and more grief and consternation with Abraham. God knows exactly what he is asking. This is not a flippant request. God knows how dear Isaac is. To Abraham. After all, Abraham had waited years for this son of his love. It had cost him another son who has been sent away so that Isaac might be the heir of the promise. And now, finally, that Abraham can rest knowing that God has fulfilled his promise. Now God wants to take Isaac away. Now, we need to imagine what this would be like for us. And I need you to go beyond the immediate. Go beyond thinking that God is going to take your iPhone away. Or your car. Or your football team. Or your house. Imagine the thing that is dearest and precious, most precious to you. And that God comes to you and He says, you must give this up now for me. How would you react? If He gave a command that was an imperative that could not be denied, there is no choice here. There is no, con- there is no arguing with God. How would you react to this? But there's another element that lays over the top of this. And that not only is there a command that comes from God, it's a command, if we're honest, with an apparent contradiction. This is so not like God, isn't it? We expect God to do things like, say, give up everything and pray. Give up everything and evangelize. Give up everything you have and love your neighbor. We don't expect to hear the God of the Bible say, you must kill your son on an altar. It's against God's law. 
It's against God's command that life is precious in Genesis chapter 9. Isaac has obviously done nothing wrong to deserve this. And as a matter of fact, what makes it even more horrific, God is asking Abraham to do what the pagan nations around him are doing. This was ordinary course for those who hated God. They took their children and they killed them on altars, hoping to please false gods, to manipulate them. And Abraham had lived his whole life to be different from these people. And now you can imagine, it is as if I, as your pastor, said, you need to do something for me, God's people. Go down to the red light district. Steal from your employer. Lie to your spouse. It's jarring. We don't expect this. We, who we are as Christians is that we don't lie. That we don't steal. That we don't go places. Isn't that who we are as Christians? But you see here, God is telling Abraham that to be a believer in the living God is not just about what we do. There is an important component of that. But you see, it doesn't begin there. You cannot be different just for the sake of being different. There has to be substance behind it. And the substance is to follow the authority of the living God. Do you live your life the way you do because you trust God? Or do you live your life the way you do because you think it's what's expected of you? You don't want to get grief from the pastor. You don't want to be nagged by your wife. You don't want to be embarrassed by your kids in public. You see, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is to see the authority of the living God and to obey it implicitly. There's a second contradiction here that's even worse than the first, if you can imagine it. Not only is God seemingly asking Abraham to be like the pagan nations, he's telling Abraham to make sure that the promise doesn't come true. Do you remember the promise? We've been talking about it week after week after week. God said to Abraham over and over again, In Isaac shall your seed be named. In Isaac shall all nations of the world be blessed. Abraham has waited for this son because he knows this is the hope not just of himself, but of the whole world. The Savior of the world will come from Isaac. And now God says, kill him. How dare God ask this? God, do you not know what your plan is? Do you not know what you're supposed to do? Why are you messing this up? You see, this is often the hardest thing that is possible. It is to trust God, not when we see things for our obvious benefit. It is to trust God when all of the circumstances say otherwise. In one sense, it is very easy to trust God when we pray to Him to heal us or to strengthen us. Because that's what we want. It is easy to trust God that He will take care of us and He will bless us because that's what we want. It's another thing to trust God when it seems that God is doing the exact opposite of what He should. That is the dark night of the soul. 
It's when you wonder, Lord, why? Why, after all the years of teaching my child from God's Word, do they wander? It's when you wonder, Lord, I've poured all I can into this marriage. Why is it not the way it should be? Lord, I've tried and I've worked as hard as I can at this job, and now it seems that I'm the one singled out. You see, that is the time in which we must trust the Lord. This is a living, breathing example of the proverb. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make straight your paths. You see, this is what God is doing for Abraham. He is challenging him and deepening his faith. This is what he has been doing all along. He challenged him on his fear by telling him to go to another land. He challenged him in his patience by saying, wait for the promise. And now he is challenging him in his hope by saying, kill your son. What will Abraham do? But we see what he does here as the test of his faith reveals his faith. And what Abraham does with true faith is what every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ should do. He obeys the Lord and he believes the Lord. Now what could Abraham do? Well, he could do what any teen or husband who's watching the football game can do when he's asked to do something. He could argue. That doesn't need to be done now. No, I don't need to do that. He could negotiate. Give me 20 more minutes. Lord, give me six more years to see how this pans out, and then we'll talk about this. He could indignantly refuse. Well, I can't believe in a God that would say something like this. Therefore, I won't believe in you, God, anymore. After all you've done, you don't meet my standard. So therefore, go away. Isn't that how most people in the world respond to any challenge or test from God? How many times have you heard the phrase, Well, I can't believe in a God who is like this. Like what? Well, like I want Him to be, of course. Like I expect Him to be. Like I need Him to be. Well, then who's God? Him or you? You've created God. But you see, Abraham doesn't do that. He knows God. He has been with God so long so that the only thing that Abraham can do is give real obedience. Now, I want you to see something here in verse 3. The first thing about Abraham's obedience is that it is prompt. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Young people, have you ever heard the phrase, delayed obedience is disobedience? If you haven't, delayed obedience is disobedience. And that's exactly what's happening here. Abraham is faced with the greatest test of his life, and he doesn't hem or haw. He doesn't try to get out of it. He wakes up early. He's prompt in his obedience. Now, this is his pattern. This is what he has done. But not only is he prompt in his obedience, it's a 
sustained obedience. Now think about what God has asked him to do. To take his son, to take the fire, to take the wood, and to go three days' journey. This requires a sustained level of obedience. It is one thing to obey in the moment. It is another thing to maintain that for hours and days. This is something that cannot be done hastily. No one will accuse Abraham of simply obeying without thinking. No, he must think this all the way through. And so the question then comes to you, Are you in for the long haul with Jesus? Because you see, if you have just come to the Lord Jesus Christ hoping to get out of a fix. Lord, you take care of me now in the middle of this mess. Oh, I'll believe in you forever. And that's forgotten a week later. Then that's not real obedience and real faith. Because you see, Abraham had to go step by step, day by day, obeying the Lord. It was prompt obedience, it was sustained obedience, and it was constant obedience. You don't see Abraham having a discussion out loud with the men or with Isaac about this. There's no turmoil. His face is set, and he goes. And then finally, he is willing in his obedience. Look at verse 5. Abraham says to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and what? Worship. You see, he's not doing it grudgingly. You know the story. I've said it to you before. It's a wonderful illustration. A mother with a young child who is standing up in his high chair and she says, sit down. And he won't sit down. And she says, sit down. And he won't sit down, so she goes and she grabs his arms and she pushes him down and sits him down. And she says, you're finally sitting down. And he looks at her and he says, I'm standing on the inside. That's not Abraham here. He's not of one mind publicly and another privately. He's willing in his obedience. And he takes this action in spite of all of the difficulty. And he can do this because he's not just obeying the Lord in what he has done. He is obeying the Lord while he is believing the Lord. He knows who the Lord is. He knows that the Lord loves him. The reason why he doesn't argue with God is because God has already carried him through the way. He has a history with God. Do you? The Lord has blessed you richly. Each and every one of you in here, we could have been born in the lowest caste in India. We could have been left out to die in the elements. We could have sickness. We could have the fate of so many who are about the world, but the the Lord has blessed us with families, with homes, with educations. When we know who God is, We can trust Him. We listen to Him because in spite of all evidence to the contrary, we know that God is still God and the gospel is still the gospel. Abraham believed that God would fulfill his promise. Now you have to think about this. What was Abraham thinking when he says to the men, 
We're going to go and we're going to worship and we're going to return. You think, is he lying to the men? Is he afraid of them? What is he thinking? He's been told to sacrifice Isaac. He's going, is he going to disobey? How will he return? How does this great resolve take over Abraham? I think it's what happened on the three-day journey. Could you imagine being Abraham? He probably couldn't even tell Sarah what he was planning. And he's going, and step after step, he's wondering to himself, what will happen? How will God keep his promise? God had promised me a son. What does this mean to kill him? How will my family go on? How will the people of God go on? And you see, in the midst of all of that trial... Abraham had two choices. They're the choices that face you today. His first choice he could have said was, God is a liar and he is untrue and I reject him. Because everything I see says, if you kill a boy, it's all over. And he could have chosen his eyes before God. But I think what happened is, as he went, he said to himself, the only thing that could possibly happen, because God is true and he must keep his promise, if I have to kill Isaac and God has said that the promise will be fulfilled through him, the only thing he can do is bring him back to life. It's the only possible way. It's against everything we know, against everything we see, but Abraham says he's got to do it. Because the alternative is he's a liar. And that can't be true. And that's exactly what the author of the Hebrews tells us. He says that Abraham believed that God would bring Isaac back from the dead to fulfill his promise. Do you have that kind of faith? Because you see... The only kind of faith that saves is believing in God that He will bring one back from the dead to keep His promise. He had promised to atone for sin through the work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is not dead and on a cross. Jesus Christ is alive because the only way that God could break this contradiction, this dilemma to be just and the justifier of the ungodly, the only way he could possibly right this wrong was to bring Jesus back from the dead. That's what he has done. Do you believe that? Because your very eternal life is staked upon it. If you believe Jesus was just some nice teacher who had good things to say, and it's too bad the Romans got the best of him, then we are the most miserable of people. We are dead in our sins. We are wasting our time here this morning. There is no hope at all. But if you believe in what God has done and who He is and what He can do, then there is hope in that kind of faith. And that kind of faith, finally, briefly, is rewarded. It is a certain reward. God God swears by Himself because there is no greater. He swears by Himself that He will provide. He intervenes. You see, God knows Abraham's heart. And He was not about to let Isaac be slain. 
He says, now I know, and better yet, Abraham, now you know for certain that the promise will be fulfilled. And lastly, the reward of faith is ironically a gracious reward. The end of this passage makes it seem as if it was what Abraham did that he was rewarded for. But we have to ask ourselves, did Abraham's obedience earn him the blessing and promise of God? Because you see, it was God who test. It was God who provided. It was God who blessed. It was God who gave Abraham the promise of victory. You see, all of this is the gracious work of God in Abraham's life. This is a famous passage for a reason. It is not just about one man and his commitment to the Lord. Because you see, we are told that Abraham took Isaac three days journey to a mountain called Moriah. We're also told in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 that it was upon that very place that the temple was constructed. And it was just outside the place of that temple where another son was sacrificed. One beloved of his father. One who was innocent and who had done no wrong. It was on a mountain called Calvary. You see, here is a picture of what God has done for you. This is not about what God demands. This is about what God has done in Jesus. Do you believe upon Him? Do you know that He is your only hope? Do you know that the Lord God Himself broke the bands of death that He might be reunited with His people? God is faithful. That faithfulness encourages our faith. It rewards our faith. It tests our faith. And in the end, it points us to the maker and keeper of that faith. The Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you have spoken to us through your servant Abraham. Lord, we ask that you would Make us a people of faith, that we would seek you out, O Lord, that we would seek to obey you in all that we are and with all that we can be. Lord, remind us that you are continually at work in our lives and that you do this for the sake of your beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.